Well, as we continue our series in Romans, we're in ch Romans chapter 10. And I probably say this about every uh, chapter of Romans, but this is one of my favorite chapters. Um, because we learn uh, in Romans chapter 10 that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that saves people, it's the only way that people are saved. The gospel of Christ has come near. Um, that is, uh, that the way that salvation, that is the way that you can be saved, the way that I can be saved, the way that anyone can be saved, is through the gospel that is preached, proclaimed, shared through people like you and me. And it's simply, you hear the message, the good news, the offer of salvation from God, and you simply believe. That's it. You believe. So well, that sounds really simple. It is simple. That doesn't mean the Christian life is simple. Doesn't mean the Christian life is easy. Um, no, it's very difficult. Very difficult to persevere. It's very difficult in some ways, in many ways, to follow Jesus in this life. But when it comes to being saved, when it comes to becoming a Christian, becoming a child of God, it is, it is as simple, as easy as believing. The Bible is very clear about that fact. There is no ambiguity the Word of God, it comes near through people who deliver the Word of God. That is the Gospel. Paul says in the New Testament, he says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Later on, it's either in Romans 15 or 1 Corinthians 15, he says to the church, I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that is the most important thing that I received, I delivered to you. And that is that Jesus, that Jesus was born, that he died, that he rose again, all of this according to the scriptures. That is the way that the Old Testament prophesied that he would. He fulfilled all those prophecies. He says, I deliver to you the gospel. That is the most important thing. It's the most important thing that you give to your friends and family that we as a church pass on to future generations and that we share with our community is one thing. It's the gospel. It's the good news. That is of most importance. It's not what style of church we are. It's not what people wear. It's not... Uh, the songs that we sing or the place that we meet or any of those other things. As of first importance, the gospel. Never forget that. Uh, we hear today of people who talk about growing up in a Christian home, growing up in a Christian environment, growing up in the church and et cetera, et cetera. None of that matters if the gospel is not delivered and lived out. You can be surrounded by Christianity all of your life and never hear the gospel. Did you know that? There are people, and this might be your testimony, part of your testimony, who have lived for many years around other Christians and, and rubbed shoulders and rubbed elbows with other people and lived in the church and, and all those things and never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll hear the name of Jesus. We'll hear people talk about God. We'll hear people talk about good things. But as of primary importance for us is that we Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is good 
news. That's what the word gospel means. In the Greek, it's the word euangelion. It's where we, we get the word evangelism. Evangelism's not really evangelism unless you share the euangelion, the gospel. Now, churches like Grace Fellowship can get involved in social works, good deeds, like what we did yesterday. We went out and we tried to add value to our community by picking up trash and serving our neighbors. And, but it's gospel ministry when we communicate the word of the gospel to other people. So we wore these t-shirts that say grace serves. They're on the back table. If you don't have one, you can grab one. But on the back, there's a verse from uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It says, he died for all. So that those, paraphrasing, who were born again through him would no longer live for themselves, but that they would live their lives for him, the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. And so our service, like yesterday, what we did in the community, is a testimony of the difference that God has made in us. It's not something we do to earn salvation. Salvation comes through the word of God, not through works. But believing, as we looked at last week, that word and applying faith to that word. Paul calls it the word of faith that we are preaching. So we discovered last week that it's not any word. It's a specific message. It's a specific message about Jesus. And so many people miss this. I was just watching this last week, uh, another of these testimonies, these videos on YouTube that are going viral of supposedly former Christians who are deconstructing their faith. That is, they're coming to the place where they, they say, well, I no longer believe in Jesus. But they usually don't word it that way. They usually don't word it that way when they come out and they tell, and usually these are famous people, famous Christian authors, pastors, musicians, who come out on social media and they make this great big declaration that they are no longer a Christian, that they are renouncing the faith, and they call it deconstruction. They say that what they've done is they've actually thought for the very first time in a reasonable way about the Christian faith and they've deconstructed it scientifically, philosophically, however, and they've picked it apart, they've dissected it like they put it in a laboratory, you know, when we were in freshman biology and we looked inside the pig or the frog or the whatever, butterfly. They say, well, I started doing that to my Christianity and I, and I discovered that, that um, yeah, I didn't think there was enough truth to it. I deconstructed it and discovered it was false and so I'm, now I'm walking away. You can't deconstruct faith because faith is not the same as construction. The Christian faith is not something you construct. It's something you believe in. It's something you accept or you reject. So what some of these deconstructions should actually do is just come out and say, I used to believe that Jesus was the Son of God and that God exists, and now I don't believe it anymore. Now I reject Jesus. Essentially, that's what it means. But faith is not a system that you construct. It's not a process. Some people will say faith is a journey. In a sense, that's true. But faith is also a moment. It is the moment that the Word of God shows up through some messenger. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a pastor, a preacher, maybe it's someone on TV or whatever. 
Maybe it's just you picking up the Bible and reading the Bible, but the Word of God comes to a person, and at that moment when the gospel is presented, we have a choice to believe or to reject. That's the word of faith that Paul is talking about. And so when we come to Romans chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 11 and go to verse 15 today. This is in the context of that word of faith that's being preached. Now Paul is talking about his fellow countrymen according to the flesh, that is fellow Jews, fellow Israelites. And he explains from from last week, just a little bit of a recap. He says, what does it say? This This is verse 8. The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. Now he's hearkening back to the book of Deuteronomy where Moses is telling the people, when God comes to you through a prophet, through a messenger, and he gives his word, your response to that should never be, well, who's going to go and get it for us? Who's going to do it for us? We need somebody, like a priest or someone like that, we need somebody to go for us and do for us what we cannot do ourselves. Moses says back in Deuteronomy, don't say that. When the word of God comes to you through God's messenger, you only have one thing to do, and that is to believe it. To believe it, to do it yourself. And so Paul says here, he uses that verse in Deuteronomy, talking to his largely Jewish audience who would have been familiar with that. He says, what does the word say? The word of faith that we are preaching, it is near you in your mouth, in your heart. That, verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Amen? If you believe, if you confess, you shall be saved. Believing and confessing is only possible if the word of God is brought near. Do you see that? Otherwise, there's nothing to believe, there's nothing to confess. And so Paul is saying, the word has been brought near to his fellow countrymen, the Israelites. But even though the word has been brought near to them, they have rejected it. They have said, no, we don't believe it. Now, there were a few that said yes, but most of them said no. And he says in verse 10, for with the heart, man believes... And we looked at these two words last week, and I hope they encourage you. Verse 10, with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. Resulting, do you get that? Not leading to righteousness, not as a down payment for more righteousness, but no, resulting in righteousness. Do you know that the moment that you believe on Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous in God's sight? right when God sees you he sees his son he sees the full righteousness of Jesus because Jesus died on the cross for you in your place we refer to that as a substitutionary vicarious atonement that is that Jesus blood shed for you and for me all those who believe he died in your place so therefore his righteousness becomes your righteousness now you may not feel righteous That's probably a healthy thing. I don't feel righteous. I feel the weight of my sin every day and so should you. We should all feel the weight of our sin but we should also 
Rest in the, in the knowledge that Jesus died for us. And that his righteousness is ours. With the mouth, he says, he confesses resulting in salvation. Is that word resulting again? Resulting in salvation. Now verse 11. Our passage for today, 11 through 15. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. Beautiful feet is our topic. Beautiful feet is the phrase that's used here in Scripture. And that I want to encourage you with and challenge you with this morning through, from God's Word. A little bit of context would help. Mainly from the book of Isaiah, Paul is quoting from the prophet Isaiah here, the verse that Tommy read at the very beginning of the service. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Now that's part of a greater message from Isaiah chapter 40 that I want you to see. And then we're going to look at a couple of other verses in Isaiah before coming back to Romans. So if you know where Isaiah is, they're deep in the Old Testament, you can... Turn there. In Isaiah 40, verse 8 and 9, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Verse 9, get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. I want you to notice something in verse 9. The term mountains, you're going to see that concept again. When we look at this uh, verse 15 in Romans, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things, who bring good news, who bring the gospel. Those feet are beautiful, but he references these passages in Isaiah. And you're going to notice this idea about Getting up on the mountains, looking up to the mountains. The, those who deliver the good news are coming from the mountains. We're going to see it again in Isaiah 52 and also in Isaiah 61. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Sound familiar? Who announces peace and brings good news of happiness. Who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. See that concept there? How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. And again in Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. This idea of delivering the good news and how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 
About this time last year, I was getting ready to uh, hike the Grand Canyon. Some of you remember that. I talked about it a lot because I was scared. I talked about, I talked about it probably a little bit too much. Uh, you were probably sick of hearing about it. And then when I was done, it was just like a miracle. It was kind of like the day of my wedding. You know, I thought, she's going to change her mind before this whole thing is over and done with. She's going to figure me out. And this is just too good to be true. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Uh, I felt the same way when, uh, when getting ready for the Grand Canyon. I thought, especially when I got there and I looked at it, and I thought, there's no way I'm coming out of this thing alive. And, uh, but I went down anyway, because I'm a stupid man. But I had trained for it, as I thought I did anyway. Um, it's like, it's coming out the last mile and a half. What people will do is they will, the tourists will go to the Bright Angel Trailhead, which is usually where we come out at, and, and they get curious. You know, they're up there at the top of the rim, and they're taking pictures, and they're like, ah, we, we want to venture down there and see what it's like. You know, and so they do. They do. They, they're in their flip-flops and their shorts and they got a little bottle of water about this big and they, they go down there and they think, well, I'll just keep on going down. And they get down there and I ran into a lot of these people at the, the last two to three miles of the trail, which is just nothing but switchbacks. Just straight up, straight up. And, and I see them and I'm thinking, are you crazy? They're wearing flip-flops. And by the time they get to me, and I'm coming out of there, of course, I'm covered in dirt and mud and all kinds of other things. Their, their legs are filthy. Their feet are all dusty. They've got sweat, you know, on their toes and stuff. And, and you can see it on their faces. Usually if they're in groups, there's one person who's the gung-ho person. Yeah, let's go a little further, guys, you know. And there are two other people who are like, I don't know about this. I didn't really wear the right gear. Well, by the time they come up and see all their friends on the other side, at the top, they don't look the same. They don't look the same. They've only gone down maybe half a mile or a mile, but they don't look the same. They're filthy. Their feet are nasty. You get up there and there are these little water spigots you can wash your feet off with and all those things. The feet of people passing through mountains are not physically beautiful. Okay? They're just not. Even if you go a short distance, they're not beautiful. But the way that the world, that the word traveled back during this day, Old Testament, New Testament day, both. The word traveled by messenger. There, was, there were no faxes, there were no emails, there were no texts. So if you, if you go all the way back to this period of time, this is before not only the image, the image of information... But it was before the movable text type. It was before the Gutenberg printing press. It was before people sent letters in the mail, right? Now, people would send messages on pieces of paper, but the common mode of communication was for a person to tell another person a message, for that person to memorize the message, and sometimes these messages were very long, and then deliver that message by word of mouth through all kinds of physical barriers like mountains, forests, rivers, streams, whatever. But when that filthy, stinky messenger came over the mountain and people could see them, they knew that they were just moments away from receiving a powerful, 
sometimes life-changing message. Sometimes their physical lives depended on it. And so for, for someone to say how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is something, especially during Isaiah's time, that would have been very tangible. But what Paul is going to do with this to say to us as Christians is he's going to say, regardless of how, of how unpopular your message is, regardless of how hard it is for you to get the message to the place where it needs to be, your feet, because of the message you carry, your feet as a Christian are beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. There are no other feet more beautiful than a Christian who's carrying the word of God. Do you believe that? It's the truth. So this is in the context of media communication. There are different types of media and at this time it was the spoken word. Remember what Paul said. Don't say who will go get it for us. It's already come to you and all you must do, he says in last week's message, is believe it. Receive it, believe it. The word of faith that we're preaching. The first reason that these feet are beautiful is because of who their message is for. Look at verse 11 through 13. And notice the word that pops up over and over. Oh, it's such a beautiful word. The word whosoever. Whosoever, whoever. In John 3.16, the Bible says, you probably know it well. What is John 3.16? A little bit louder. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever believes. These feet are beautiful because of who their message is for. Paul says it doesn't matter. Where you come from, it doesn't matter what edge of the world you're in. He says in verse 11, the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Our feet are not just beautiful on some occasions when we carry the message of Christ. Because our message is not just applicable to certain people. Gospel ministry is always beautiful, though not always attractive. It's not always attractive, is it? So know one of the things about these deconstruction stories that I've noticed is that the people that are supposedly leaving the faith are also people who have never, at least demonstrably, experienced any persecution for their faith. They are authors of Christian books. They're writers of Christian songs. They spend time in Christian circles. And then they supposedly give it up when they've never even been tested. 
book of Hebrews talks about those within that great cloud of witnesses who are encouraging us to go on, who gave up so much. Some of them, the Bible says, were sawn, they were cut in half. Their bodies were cut in half. Some burned. There are many ministry opportunities that you're going to have that are not attractive. That don't, that don't scream, you should do this. You're going to love this. This will be good for you. No, you might actually have to risk everything. Your feet are still beautiful. Even more beautiful in some cases because you're taking the gospel to people who may not want to hear it. Some of your friends and family and neighbors and coworkers and whoever, you already know that if you share Christ with them, the response will not be good. You might be persecuted. But your feet as gospel messengers are beautiful because of who your message is for. It's for everybody, whosoever will believe. Secondly, we learn that the, beautiful, that the, the feet of Christ's children are beautiful because of how their message can be received. This is the beautiful thing about the gospel. That differentiates the Christian gospel from some, so many other false gospels, messages, religious messages, because of how it is received. Verse 11, whoever, what, believes will not be disappointed. Verse 14, how shall they call upon him in whom they have not, what, Believed. Believed. He said in verse 8 that the word of God is near. It is near you. That is, there's nothing you can do in your own strength to go and get it. Or to perform in such a way that would earn righteousness. That's the great thing about the gospel and about those who deliver the gospel is that because it is a word from God, a message, we bring it to people, there's nothing they have to do. There's nothing they can do in their flesh. There's nothing people can do except receive it. Receive it. Just receive it. Accept it. Submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is believe. And that is unique. That is unique. It always has been unique. Why? Because religions in the world always tend, man-made religions always tend, they always gravitate toward who? That's right. Man. People. And so automatically what happens in these man-made religions is there's a hierarchical structure that takes place. There are power struggles. There are systems that are formed so that if you want to be, if you want to be on good terms with the religion, you have to do certain things that earn you merit within the system, right? That's the tendency of the human flesh. And so other religious groups 
feet are not beautiful because the message is not believe. The message is do more. The message is try something new that you've never done before. Try our product. Try our system. Listen to our spokesperson. He's special. She's special. They're saying something that no one has said before. They have a new spin on this because somehow the word, the message has been lost over the years and they're going to recover it from scratch somehow. They've written their own book. They have their own message. And they create this type of system. And many people who get sucked into those systems discover those feet aren't beautiful. Those are the same feet that have existed from the very beginning when the enemy deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. Asking questions like this, did God really say? Is it really that simple to just hear God's voice and God say it and then you obey it? It's got to be more than that. It's got to be more. So groups like the LDS Church, the Mormon Church, the Jehovah's Witnesses, so many other splinter groups who, who some in those groups claim to be part of the Christian church in some way or another, but are not. Why? Because the message is not believe on Jesus. The message is do. The message is Jesus is not everything. Jesus is part of our system. He's just part of it. But we'll call him, we'll call him God. But he's just part of our system. See, those systems are, are not, those messages are not euangelion. They're not good news. And the messengers do not have beautiful feet. They might have nice white shirts and ties and bicycles and, you know, whatever. But they don't have beautiful feet. You have beautiful feet. You have beautiful feet. Why? Because of the message that you carry. Because of how the message can be received, believe. That's why the gospel is beautiful. There is equal access for all people because it is only through faith, by grace through faith, that we are saved. And then finally, their feet are beautiful because they are sent. Look in verse 15. He says, how shall they preach unless they are sent? Now, I want to back up to verse 14 just for a moment because the very last sentence in verse 14, how shall they uh, hear without a preacher? Okay? Now, you've probably heard many evangelical preachers say, hey, that doesn't really mean preacher. And, and it, it does really mean preacher because the word that's used there is, is a person who preaches. But it's not referencing some special office. Okay? If it were, Paul would have used a different word. He would have used a word like presbyteron or episcopoi or something like that, like a, an elder or a deacon, because those were the officers in the New Testament church. He doesn't use that word. He doesn't say, how will they hear without an elder? How will they hear without a bishop? How will they hear without a deacon? He doesn't refer to officers. He refers to a function that I believe he's, he's saying, it doesn't matter who you are. You could have been an Old Testament prophet, like Isaiah, 
whose job was to preach, that is proclaim the word. He's given the word, he's entrusted with the word, and now he's going to deliver the word. He's a preacher, okay? He would say the same thing about the apostles in the New Testament. They were given a ministry by Jesus. They were told to do something, to go and make disciples, and they went and they delivered a message because they were sent. And the people they were sent to would have never believed had they never heard, and they would have never heard had they not been sent with a message. And so, what does he mean by a preacher? He just simply means someone who delivers the message. In verse 15, he says, how shall they preach? That is, how shall they go over the mountain? How shall they deliver the message unless they are sent? That is, it is assumed that everyone who goes with a message is sent by someone who has the authority over that message, right? Who has the authority? Are we free to preach and deliver whatever we want well we go back to last week's message we see that we're not he says the word is near you that is the word we paul says are preaching he wouldn't have he wouldn't have said it's the same for one of these heretics who's preaching about jesus as long as they're talking about jesus it's okay no he says the word that we are preaching he's talking about apostolic authority those who god has Sent those who have interacted with Jesus and who Jesus says, I want you to go. That is the apostles, that is Paul, that is the New Testament church. And so, if we go to Matthew chapter 29, verses 18 through 20, we discover the Great Commission as we know it today, where Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. And of the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says, Lo, I am with you till the end of the age. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Who's sending? Jesus is sending. Who is he sending? His church. His church under the leadership of the apostles. The apostles were establishing the New Testament church in the book of Acts and all those people who were coming to faith became servants of Christ, ambassadors of Christ, messengers of the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings, good things. Some may ask, well, is the Great Commission for all Christians or just special people within the church? Is it just for officers in the church? Is it just for those who preach and teach publicly? Is the great, who's the Great Commission for? Who is Jesus talking to? Some may think that the Great Commission was only for the apostles. It wasn't even for the church of the apostles after them. It was just a temporary thing for the apostles at that moment to go and make disciples. The Christian church has believed for centuries, and I, and I believe, and I hope that you do too, that the Great Commission is actually for every believer. It's for every single person who has received that message from another person. Who was it for you? 
If you're a believer in here today, can you think of that person who shared Christ with you? Who shared the gospel with you? Personally? Maybe it was a preacher, a teacher, maybe it was a friend, a family member who sat down with you and shared the gospel with you and told you about Jesus. Very special person to you, right? To me. They were sent. They were sent by God. Who is God sending you to? How are you living a sent Christian life? Are your feet beautiful? Is the gospel on your lips? Are you intentional about telling people about Jesus? Knowing, knowing, knowing that when the word is brought near to anyone, to whosoever, when the word is brought near, that's where the magic happens. God opens up someone's eyes when they hear the gospel. The Holy Spirit illuminates them and opens their eyes For Paul, there were literal scales that fell off of his eyes. Our feet are beautiful, Christian brother and sister, because of the message that we have, because of the way people come to faith. It's only by believing. And our message is beautiful because we are all sent by God through Christ to tell others. How can your feet, how can our feet as a church be made more beautiful? That's what we should be thinking about today. How can we have more beautiful feet? What mountains, obstacles must we face as a church, must you face personally to bring good news to the lost? Where are you willing to go? What are you willing to do How dirty are you willing to get? What extent, to what extent are you willing to go? The gospel is the only hope for people to be saved. It's the only hope for our families, our friends, our neighbors. You might think, as we've discovered in the last few weeks, you might think there are people in your life that are so far from God, it would be pointless, pointless to share Christ with them. If we've learned anything, we've learned that's not the case. Because when the word comes near, all people have to do is believe. And the people that you think are far off are not any further off than anybody else that you know. There are also people that you know who live good moral lives and you think they're doing really well, they really don't need the word of God. It would just be superfluous. Remember the words of Paul? Man, all these things that were gained to me, all these things, I I could give you a list of of my religious pedigree. He says, I consider all of it as garbage. As trash in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have given up everything and consider all things as loss in comparison to knowing Him. Beautiful feet. Let's have even more beautiful feet.
today. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, I thank you, God, for your word today and the way that you've spoken to us. And I, and I pray that the more we meditate on it today, the more your Holy Spirit will teach us. Father, our culture is more and more antagonistic toward our message, toward your message. Let that not discourage us. Father, the people that you've put in our life who need to hear the gospel, give us boldness to share with them. Help us to be kind. But help us to be quick. Lord, help us to be a church whose feet are increasingly beautiful as the years go on. That our evangelistic zeal would not wane. God, that we wouldn't just become some church organization that maintains itself and turns inward, but that we would constantly, constantly be looking outward to the people who need to hear the gospel and help us to be convinced more and more every day that the reason that you, that your son has not returned is because of that fact that there are more people, more of those folks in our community who have to hear the gospel and who need to come to faith. God, encourage us by your word today to put all of our trust in you, not in the way that we wordsmith the gospel or invite people or anything like that, but God, we would just be faithful to listen to your voice, to do what you tell us to do, and to share Christ with the people you've put around us. Father, I pray if there's one here this morning who's never simply believed that today they would do that, that they would say yes to your offer of free grace. Maybe they've spent many years working and trying and hitting the reset button of their life over and over and over again. Father, would you bring them to the place of recognizing this morning that it is a dead end, that only you can save, that Christ has done all the work on the cross for them if they would simply believe. I pray that today would be that day for them and that they would say yes to you and follow you in faith and obedience. God, give us all strength this morning. Thank you, God, for the gospel. Thank you, God, that you love us. That you've extended your love to the whosoevers. 